Do you ever wonder what would happen if, well, if... If you give a dad a podcast. I'm what you call a nerdy fan. I nerd out at this stuff. Hardcore. You'll hear me talk about anime on here. You'll hear me talk about Power Rangers. You'll hear me talk about wrestling on here. Okay. I had an axe handle with a twisted T on it. It's <laughs> right after that <laughs> twisted T video went viral. And man, they went out and grabbed it and smacked the dude in the head with it. It was so... That's great. I'd like to thank this podcast as a nostalgia moment for me. It's a show where I can talk about whatever I want. I'm a, I'm a human and I'm a chiropractor. There was a picture of me. It looked like I was on the side of a ramen box over in China. But... <laughs> so I took my kids with me to Comic-Con. I thought that was really cool. Well, I don't know if my wife should listen to this podcast. We'll cut that part out. <laughs> you know, you hope. Like, and then Robert said this. <laughs> if you give a dad a podcast, available now on all podcasting platforms. Did you ever wonder what could have been with the AWA had things gone differently? Had their fortunes gone differently? Had certain wrestlers not left and perhaps more money would have been at the disposal of the Ganyas? Well, wonder no further. You can go to Brad Drake's YouTube channel and experience the 1987 Supermod for yourself. As Brad Drake starts off in May 1987, along with Greg Ganya, Baron Von Rotschke, Vern Ganya himself, Nick Bockwinkle, Larry Zabisco, Kurt Hennig, and a slew of others as he plays and saves the AWA. Hello everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I want to tell you about a new podcast out called Fouls Count Anywhere. It is a classic pro wrestling podcast that brings you the legends of wrestling with true wrestling fans Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. They bring on guests that are legends in this business as well as wrestlers of today, promoters, referees, you name it, they have them on there, folks. And I encourage you to listen to them. If you're on YouTube, watch them. They drop every Saturday. They have their podcast. And they drop it in the afternoon. So look forward to that podcast coming out. Falls Count Anywhere podcast with Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. Folks, you will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. And enjoy the podcast. Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. We are on today because of you. And in order to continue the podcast and get the guests on here that require some financial compensation, we're going to need help from people like you. Right now, we're attempting to get our YouTube videos monetized through YouTube. We need 1,000 subscribers in order to do that. So I've decided that if the 1,000 subscriber We'll get a free t-shirt like this from me and come on the show as a guest on the podcast. So subscribe today and that 1,000 subscriber will be contacted by me and be given a t-shirt and come on the show. So subscribe today. If you already have, thank you. If you haven't, please do and tell your friends and subscribe today and we'll talk to you soon and enjoy the podcast. the talk of wrestling i'm brian ferguson my guest today is a returning guest and one of the greats of the tag team division and single teams he was a two-time awa world tag team champion with greg Ganya, known as the high flyers and one half of the legendary killer bees and the wwf i want to welcome back mr jumping jim brunzel jim thanks for coming <laughs> on today thanks brian uh, my pleasure. Yeah, I like doing these. They're they're fun. Uh, I I remember when we did this a couple years ago. Yeah. And uh, I had the opportunity to meet you in person at Crusher Fest last year. Sure. And that yep. was great. Actually, I have my shirt on that you signed up here at the top. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a great time. So good to good to be talking with you. I want to show you something very. Okay. Very cool, very neat. I think you will enjoy it. And 
Here we go. Oh boy. Best known as the High Flyer. This is when you wanted to take some titles for the second time. Into the ring, they carried on the tradition that was started by Greg's father, Vern Gagne. They dominated their opponents with a superior technical wrestling ability and sheer guts. One team that found a way to dethrone the High Flyers was an outrageous bi-coastal combination known as the East-West Connection. Southern California's Jesse the Body uh, Ventura and crowds on fire. Golden yeah. boy Adrian Adonis from New York City. This is best the right here. Between these yeah. teams were made, but the High Flyers would claim the victory when this feud was there. It is the High Flyers' second tenure as tag team champions would be there. It's last. Lord Blears as a referee, too. Yeah, it, it's all it's together. I want you to watch this one part here. It'll come up in just a second. We're, we're talking to him for a second. And then he comes around, watch, I want you to see your facial expression here. You're okay, like, what? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a, oh, that's awesome. That is so great. What was your emotions like that night for you? I mean. Well, you know, I mean, Greg and I worked hard for a number of years. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we had uh, the belts, uh, we'd be Duncan and Lanza, and then we had feuds with, oh gosh, Bachwinkle and Stevens, and Stevens and, um, oh God, Pat Patterson. And then, you know, Jesse and Adrian came, and they were pretty unique. Uh, Adrian was very good in the ring, and Jesse was very good on the mic. So, uh, it, it, you know, it was fun winning those back again, and then... Uh, you know, <laughs> it was, I, I love the AWA. It was, yeah. it was the best place to work without a doubt. Yeah. I, uh, I just remember when you won them back um, and you had them for almost two years. Uh, defending those belts. I mean, it takes a lot. You, nowadays, you know, most title changes are within two or three months of them winning it they'll go back and forth what do you think is the difference now because back then during your eras guys would hold the belt i mean like bachwinkle held the belt for five years Vern held it for seven and made money you guys held them for two years straight made money what is to you the difference in how it worked back then to now well the difference is the product in the ring uh in, in my era, the, the product in the ring was storytelling between basically what's good and evil. Okay. And, and it used wrestling as its source, and it it built uh, to a crescendo, and then it went down or it went up, and then there, there was a winner and there was a loser. Whereas today, uh, everything is bam, 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 high spots, you know, false finishes, nothing means anything. Uh, the guy's... Uh, when they do their interviews, they, they all sound the same. You, there is no baby face. There is no heel. Yeah. There is no uh, guys backing off, you know, and, and getting that crowd wanting to see the, you know, get, make sure that the baby face beats a snot out of them. They don't, it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way anymore. Matter of fact, you watch, I can't watch it. Yeah. I can't watch it, Brian. So, you know, I mean, that's the main difference. And, um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, people, people today, a matter of fact, I, I'd be willing to bet that between the WWE and the AWE, that there's probably less than four guys that could go a half an hour in the ring and, and, and have a good match. Really? I mean, one, one would be Barry Orton and maybe uh, Kevin Owens, but uh, the rest of those guys are just bing, 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 you know, and do you think it's just, I don't really think it'd probably be their athletic ability. I think more of it as they run out of things, run out of moves. They run out of, because the storytelling, I don't think, in my opinion, I don't know. I mean, you, you're the expert. You've been, you've been in the ring. I think the storytelling part, like you said, is gone. It's, it's more condensed now and they're on the mic more. I mean, the first 20 minutes usually of a, of a show is hmm. them on the mic in the middle of the ring talking about whatever. 
and then they 10 minutes wrestle. And I, I just, yeah, it's just kind of a lost art for me too. And well, it is. And that's because Vince doesn't care. All Vince cares about is making money off of superstars. And the way he can do that is project them every 30 seconds he can yeah. because that's valuable time. And then you look and see, you know, all you have to do is go to Target or, you know, go to some of these other stores, Walmart, yeah. and look at all the action figures, you know, and they're all WWE, you know, the AWE has got some. And, and uh, you know, that's what he's out to do. He, yeah. That's be, that's the way he's he's become a multi you know billionaire. Yeah, I, I I wish it wasn't quite like that. I mean, I understand making making money, but um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. So let's talk about a little bit. Let's go back to the mid '80s. There was a guy by the name of Eddie Mansfield. He mm -hmm. came out on ABC Nightline or 2020 something. I, I don't remember the show. I mean, I was preteen and basically told the world, hey, it's all predetermined. It's all, they don't hit as hard as it looks on TV. They're talking to each other in the ring. That's why when they bend their head down, what, when that happened, did it just kind of take the wind out of your sail or the air out of the balloon for, I mean, I mean, people kind of already knew that, but it's still. Well, it, it, wrestling, uh, Brian, wrestling is bulletproof. Bobby Heenan said that. I mean, <laughs> it is because people want to see, they want to see the action. They want to see the, you know, they want to see guys, in the ring, they want to see the action. They want to see the false finishes. They want to see, you know, the begging off and they want to see the big comebacks. And they don't, you know, the, the majority of the people don't really care. They yeah. just want to see the action. They want to see their heroes. Mm -hmm. They want to see the villains. And, you know, I mean, uh, Eddie Mansfield, I, I, I remember the name. I don't, I never met him, but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of disgruntled guys think that they, you know, they think, oh, I'll get back at wrestling. I'll tell them this and I'll tell them that. That, <laughs> they, it only hurts themselves, you know, yeah. because what, what, what's going to happen to them is they're not even going to be used down the line, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether they, you know, somebody calls them and says, hey, you know, Eddie, we'd like to have you come and, you know, sign some autographs and, and be the one that said the wrestling was fake, you know, <laughs> yeah. draw a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it doesn't hurt. And Bobby Heenan was right. He said, uh, wrestling was bulletproof. Yeah. You know, you look at the, the crowds now and uh, I'm, I'm really amazed that they still draw as well as they do. Yeah. I mean, the other night I watched uh, clash at the castle it was over in England and they drew <laughs> They yeah. drew over 62,000 people. I couldn't believe it uh, mm -hmm. at that one event. And uh, I was shocked. I mean, there was a couple good matches, I will say, uh, you know, for the most part. Um, but uh, I want to ask you, too, you know, a lot of it, you know, we said there's a lot of 20-minute mic talks and then 10-minute matches or whatever. Do you think, too, that's part of the – why? The programming, because when you were on, you guys were on for an hour. I mean, on TV. Mm -hmm. That was the max. Now it's two, three hours. Do you think that's too much? Yes, I do. Because you only can get so much, and, and, and so much of it's repetitious. Yeah. Uh, if you watch uh, the matches, whether it be AWE or the WWE, when you watch basically... Uh, like I said before, there, there's no baby face. Mm -hmm. There's no heel. There's no fellow fainting, you know, oh, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. You know, and I'm going to be, you know, you know, I mean, they're all, you know, they're all, they're all heels. So yeah, uh, I just think that, uh, you know, the people <laughs> see the people today wouldn't know a real good match if they saw one. Yeah. You know, if somebody grabbed a, a hammer lock or something or grabbed a headlock or wrist lock or something and milked it for 50, 15 minutes, people would be saying, boring, yeah. boring, you know. And yeah. 
You're right. <laughs> yeah, they, they would because they, they, they don't know what a good match is. I so, think it's because they've been programmed for the last <clears throat> almost 40 years. 40 years. Right? Yeah. 40 yeah. years of people need to be coming off the top ropes. People need to be, uh, you know, back in the day, you couldn't come off the top rope. You couldn't be thrown no. over the top rope. You couldn't. There's a lot of things they do now outside interference. Sure. If the ref saw it, it was an automatic disqualification. Now it's just, that's all kind of free reign. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of a lost art too, is like the referee part. I mean, he really doesn't have any control. I don't know if he really did it back in the day either, but I mean, they had more of a say in the match. Like, you know, they got in their face and put their finger up and said, stop doing that. Or I'm going to kick you out of here. They actually would. Yeah. Now it's just they kind of let it go and and or they put their hands up like oh my gosh I can't believe you're doing that and uh, yeah I, I just yeah it, he's he's just a uh, he's the third man in basically yeah he's just a token piece you know to uh, you know do whatever he's doing in the ring I, I you know I, I to be honest with you I don't watch hardly any of them you know yeah. Uh, I don't watch. I just don't watch it. The, it's funny because I saw Ric Flair on uh, commercial today for a car warranty. And I thought, Jesus, after all these years, they had, <laughs> they had uh, a couple basketball players. Um, uh, Iverson was on there. And then uh, uh, what's his name? T. Ice T. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Rick pops up. Going, <laughs> you know, and I thought, God almighty. You got to be diverse, yeah. you know? Yeah, look for him. He's, you know, yeah. he's the only guy I know in this business that probably made fifteen million dollars and spent seventeen million. So God, you know, he he's had a great money. time. Yeah, yeah, he's had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about matches that you had. So, who was probably the one of your best? people that you worked with as far as in the ring there's just a natural flow of ability for you that just you guys had the chemistry you had the it factor well i i had about three of them that i can name you right now number one was nick bockwinkle number two was bobby orton jr and number three was bret hart really bret hart yeah bret hart was excellent in the ring we had a couple 30 minute uh, draws I remember we had a draw in Philadelphia at the Spectrum, and I mean, it was a good match. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, very seldom do you see uh, the crowd respond. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was a tough match to follow. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, if you look on YouTube right now, there's two matches. Okay. One was Randy Savage and I that was on TV. And that's when uh, Scary Sherry Martell, God rest her soul, was uh, in his corner. Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll never forget this. This was on TV, and I was on my way out, so I, I was uh, going to put Randy over, you know, with his big jump off the top rope. And <laughs> I remember right off the bat, we he grabbed the headlock, and I shot him in and dropped down, and then I I, I leapfrogged him, and I hit him right smack in the mouth with the drop kick, and he comes up and he spits blood, and I thought, oh, geez. Oh. So, but he, he tempered it well. And I'll never forget this. And I'm, I'm sure Vince has done this many times, but after uh, Randy and I were getting out of the ring and walking through the curtain, Vince McMahon came up to us both and said, fellas, he said, that was the best TV match I've ever seen. Wow. Yeah. That's so, pretty good coming from him, especially, huh? Well, you know, he, he never complimented me at all. <laughs> he and I didn't get along at all. Matter of fact, I... Yeah. I, I tell the story that the very first time I was in Poughkeepsie and it was in June, I think it was June 25th, 1985. I flew in from LaGuardia and the first guy I met at the airport in LaGuardia was Hillbilly Jim. So a big guy, you know, and he and I become lasting friends. So I go to uh, Poughkeepsie and Gene Okerlund, you know, he's, I didn't wrestle that night and he introduces me and we, ha I have a real baby face interview, you know, because mm -hmm. what am I? do you know I'm, am i going to shout and scream and you know tell him i want whole gogan you know whatever <laughs> so as after i get done i'm walking away you know from gene and i hear vince he, he he's talking to somebody else. i think he's talking to george scott and he says oh god we got another backlund 
That's what he said. <laughs> I thought, oh, geez, you know, you know, and Bob Backlund was, a, you know, he, he made a lot of money and he was a great wrestler, but he was a very calm, you know, baby face type guy when he yeah. did the interview. And now you see him when he does this Mr. Backlund gimmick, you know, and Bobby's same age as me, 73. Yeah. You know, he, he, he could have got over as a heel. He does a great job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he held that belt for five, almost six oh, years. God, he made a fortune. Well, see, Vince McMahon Sr. wanted to bring a little more legitimacy to wrestling. And, you know, Bobby was a, yeah. you know, small uh, college uh, national champion, heavyweight division. Mm -hmm. And he was excellent in the ring, you know, and he, 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 he was like flair, you know, I mean, they, those guys could go an hour every night. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't see that now. An hour would be way too long. They would, uh, they wouldn't, I don't, and I'm not trying to be negative or anything. I'm just saying that it, it, it's a lot different. Uh, it, it, it's more a lot of the talk and, and uh, not enough of the, of the wrestling. And that's, I don't know. And back in the day, it was kind of like a man's reality show. You know, one of the first ones, a man, you know, beat that guy up, you know, sure. why are you kicking the crap? You know, like when you got beat up by Nick and Ray Stevens, I would get so mad or Bobby would hit you with an object or something. I would get so mad. I was a little kid. I'd get so upset and bent out of shape. I'd be yelling at the TV and my grandma would be like, it's all right. It's okay. You know, no grandma, beating up Jumpy Jim, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> my, 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 my mom and dad went one time down to the St. Paul. Uh, it was uh, St. Paul. Uh, it wasn't the armory, but it was, uh, oh, a small place. Probably held 6,000 people. And my mom, oh, she said to me afterwards, she saw she says, I'll never go to one of those again. She says, I, I just don't like to see you getting roughed up in the ring and, you know, this and that. And I said, okay, mom, that's fine. So she never went again. Oh, and that wow. was, yeah. Wow. At least you went once. <laughs> you went once and saw you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're considered pretty much a tag team specialist guy. Yep. Um, you and Greg had a lot of success. You and Brian. What brought you and Brian? Was that Vince that brought you two together? Or did you guys just kind of click? Or how did that come about? You and B. Brian Blair. Well, you know, the Vince had taken over all the talent. He had 60 guys there in New York, you know, in 1985. And he ran three shows a night, three towns. He had 20 guys in each town. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, uh, there's no place for me to go other than if you wanted to wrestle and you were part of the 26 territories that got shut down because of Vince McMahon, you had to go to New York. So I went there and, you know, I was, I, I would have loved to have been a single, uh, but I saw all the guys there and I thought, holy smokes, you know? Yeah. So, and, you know, I was a good friend of Hulk's, you know, Terry Bollea and then oh. so Brian. So, um, more or less, somehow or other, we were in uh, Toronto, and I think it was Billy Red Lion suggested that we, you know, form a team, mm -hmm. and, you know, Brian Blair and Jim Brunzel, the bees, the killer bees. So yeah. we became the killer bees, and, and actually, when we had the masks, I <laughs> put those masks on, it was the first time that baby faces ever used the heel gimmick. Yeah, yeah. To, to more or less... Uh, to their advantage in the ring, and it worked great. But Vince, <laughs> Vince didn't—he didn't like either one of us. So I mean, we only went so far. I mean, yeah. we could have—we could have gone—we could have gone heel too, you know. Yeah. But he just, uh, uh, well, yeah. there's underlying reasons, but um, right. you know, uh, it's just part of the business, you know. Either either the prom promoter likes you, or he doesn't. And you'll only go as far as he he wants to push you. Uh, yeah, I always, I always kind of wondered why you two didn't get the WWE straps. I mean, Lord knows you deserved it. Lord knows you worked your tails off. I mean, every every match I saw you in as a kid, you guys 
rock rock the house you know even with the hearts hold up whoever you know you guys faced was always a great match and sometimes when you do the switchy switch with the the mass that was great because you guys were very similarly built you would be bright yeah and yeah, hair was the same length about that time and yeah so you couldn't tell the difference that was the best part it was it was a great deal i'll never forget the first time that we did the actual switching it was in buffalo new york okay and um we had a heck of a match with the hearts and then we wound up doing the switch rule with the mask and and wind up beating them you know uh i think i dove over a nightheart and quick one two three or whatever and we jumped around and jumped around and grabbed the belts and everything and then uh, i remember they said give us the belts you know we can't take the belts out of here because you guys you know did this and did that and i thought oh jesus so and they even made us take the belts before we even left the ring you know and so rather than having that thought in the mind of the crowd and plus the television audience yeah Oh, the killer bees won, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and we had, I tell you, we had matches uh, with the uh, British Bulldogs. Oh my God. Yeah. We had a match with them in uh, Montreal in the uh, garden. Mm -hmm. And we, it was a 30 minute match. We had a heck of a match with those guys. Yeah. And then we also had a good match with um, Rick Martell and um, the kid from Minneapolis. Uh, Tom Zink. Tom Zink. And uh, and also the Rougeos. We had, you know, we could have, we did some babyface matches that, that were incredible, you know, yeah. and went 30 minutes, you know, and it was just, I don't know, it was just uh, something that the, the chemistry was wrong between us and McMahon. And, you know, that, that, you know, we made a good living. They worked our uh, butts off, you know. I, I tell us to people that, People don't realize that the first three and a half years we were there from 1985 to almost 1989, we averaged 27 days a month on the road. Gosh. 20 days. That's three days off. And uh, for, you know, <laughs> and then some guys, uh, I'll never forget the Iron Sheik, he went 92 days without a day off. And then they wondered how guys were, you know, having trouble with drugs and alcohol and, you know, family problems. I mean, I, I was gonna, that's outrageous. I was going to ask you about that. Was I know it wasn't really uh, common knowledge outside of, you know, the locker room of drugs and alcohol in that time frame. But was it pretty, I guess, common that after you know or in between a, your towns or whatever you guys not, not you but guys would do drugs and uh drink a lot just to kind of i'm sure guys got hurt quite a bit too you know working all those days and you sure. can't, you don't have time to go to the doctor if you want to no. get paid yeah so you gotta cover it so was it a was it a problem in your eyes as a as a wrestler looking from it, the it was the because out. it was because there was a couple individuals who i won't mention yeah. that became so uh, addicted that they were dangerous to themselves and their opponents in the ring and you can't you can't do that i mean yeah. if if you're you know and all of a sudden you know somebody you know gets hurt and they think well you know he was out of his mind on cocaine you know but it, it, you know, Vince knew that. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, he's, oh, we're going to have a drug testing. And then anybody with steroids and then, you know, is going to be suspended. And anybody that uses street drugs except marijuana is going to get suspended. And, <laughs> you know, and then, and then you look at the classic guys. I mean, uh, I felt, you know, you got a guy like Jim Heltwig, you know, who was... You know, <laughs> he he had an incredible body, but he couldn't work a lick. Yeah. And he his interviews, all he could do was grab those ropes and shake those ropes like that. And he made a fortune for three or four years because Vince McMahon loved his body. Yeah. The ultimate warrior couldn't work a lick. Yeah. You no, know, he's <laughs> but 
That's just my opinion. No, you're no, there's a documentary out on actually the first one. Uh, when he had problems with Vince after he, you know, threatened him and all that stuff, they put out a documentary probably about, I don't know, 18 years ago now. Uh, and a lot of guys said that they didn't like working with him because he was dangerous. He would just throw you up in the air and let you fall and, and, and didn't, didn't like to. He didn't know how to work. He, like, he, he, his idea was work that, that he, looked as good as possible at the expense of his opponent he didn't care you know he could throw those guys in i'll never forget this is the unscheduled truth we were in a small town in south dakota and i want to say it was brookings or something like that or but the main event was Hull, uh, was andre against the ultimate warrior and the ultimate warrior beat andre in less than 25 seconds what With <laughs> yeah, with three clotheslines. And when the Ultimate Warrior covered him, one, two, three, there was dead silence in the in the auditorium. And the people booed, you know? <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. And we never went back to that town. And <laughs> I bet Because you couldn't draw flies with uh, a 1,000 pounds of manure. <laughs> Gosh. 25 seconds. Wow. I didn't know that one. So that's. Yeah, that's too bad. Because uh, Andre was a was a great uh, worker. I mean, he would. I've heard he. I've heard there's two sides to him, but you know, he was for the most part pretty loved guy. And well, if he liked you, he'd do anything in the ring for you. Yeah. But and, you know, it was just like anything else that there was a personality conflict, or the guy that he was working with thought, yeah. well, you know, I should be able, you know, then he could make it tough for him. <laughs> yeah. He's a but big guy. That's that's okay. He drew so much money yeah. uh, for all the territories that he wrestled in. You know, Brian, it was amazing. I mean, yeah. the poor guy, yeah, like I've said many times, it, it was hard to be a giant. Yeah. You know, he, you know, we used to have these Halliburton bags. They were metal. They were sort of goldish looking and they, and they, they had a little um, lock on them. And, and he had his bag which was about you know about this big and that and then he had a bumper sticker on it and it said <laughs> it said don't get too close or I'll fart and, he, <laughs> and he'd hold it up like that as he walked off the plane you know because people would look at oh, there's that <laughs> and he'd hold that up and oh you know. so he got a he got a uh. kick out of that Plus that, and he used to drink three bottles of Merlot a night before he went in the in the ring. Three. He'd be playing cards, and all of a sudden, they'd say, Andre, you're up. And he'd go, he'd go, he'd hit his chest, and he'd pull his tights up, and he says, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Let me ask you this. The territories, you know, they're, do you ever think they might come back? like a regionalized, like it used to be, as far as not the the tactics that some of those guys, promoters use back in the day, but I'm saying like football, you know, MLB, NHL, they're all regionalized. I mean, they have teams, but they're all region. Do you ever mm -hmm. think something like that could and maybe would someday come back for no. those guys have up? No, you think it's dead, huh? No, it's dead. The, the reason why is because they, they can't uh, match the production of the TV product. Vince McMahon and, uh, you know, uh, AWE, the guy who owns AWE is richer than Vince McMahon, yeah. uh, that Mr. Khan. But the, the fact is, see, when, uh, when Vince started, you know, back in 82 and 83, taking over, he got, uh, what's his name, from Y World of Sports, I'm trying to think of his name now, doggone it, but he contracted this guy, and that the production of the wrestling was second to none. I mean, it was just like being, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name now. Doc, got it. <laughs> I'll think of it tonight at two o'clock. So if I call <laughs> two in the morning, all right, I'll, I'll say, Brian, here's the guy's name. <laughs> but see, nobody could compare. And that, that was a problem. I mean, most of the wrestling that you saw in the AWA was studio wrestling. Yeah. Oh, so, and occasionally they, They'd shoot down at, it's expensive to shoot down at the, you know, the arenas or, 
you know, the hockey rinks with the, you know, 20,000 people, because it just is, yeah. you have to hear the camera and bang, boom, 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 you know, and, mm -hmm. and Vince, you know, he, you know how much his, his production was about $200,000 a show. Ooh. And you know, AWA probably was uh, 2,500. Yeah. So there's just no comparison. So there's no way that the uh, independents can do that right now. You know, the independents come and they, they you know, they'll take um, some video. And I watched the show the other day that uh, Greg and I were together in, in a little suburb in uh, north of uh, St. Paul. Mm -hmm. And I just, first of all, the guy ran against, this is the honest gospel truth. The guy ran this wrestling show with Greg and I signing autographs mm -hmm. against the Packer Viking game. Oh, not, not you know, the very idea. first game. And I thought, what is this guy thinking of? Yeah. Thank God we got our money. We got our money right away. So right away. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'll feel it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, could I have a beer or two? Or he said, yeah. So, but, you know. It was, uh, you just, you, you can't duplicate that that te uh, television production that Vince uh, has. You know, he's got three, four camera shoot. You know, it's, it's just, yeah. you can't, I don't think there will be. I, I, you know, I'd love to see the, you know, different areas. But, you know, when I first started, there was 26 areas you can go and make a living. Yeah. Wow. That's what I mean. It's like, you're, you're. If you're not happy in the WWE or the AEW for that matter, then you're kind of you're stuck. Now, if you don't, if you go to the other one, great. But if they don't want you, they're not interested. You're going to have to go back down, and instead of making you know quite a bit of money when you were at WWE, even in NXT, you're going to go down to the Indies and make maybe maybe couple hundred bucks a week maybe you know it yeah. depends on where you're at and, and i don't know i just think if the right person if the right idea the right con i don't know that's just me well i you know it's wishful thinking and, and it'd be great but i just don't think it'll happen again yeah you know because because in order for first of all uh these guys who you have to establish your talent on tv to have a, a, a base yeah. And then, and then you draw from that base, you know, week after week after week. Where right now there's no base. You might have one or two guys, but mm -hmm. you, you need ten guys. You know, yeah. you need twelve guys, and it's well, just not. Out and there. that's what I want to get into next: enhance, okay. enhance talent, aka jobbers. Yes, we. I as a kid, I remember him. I can tell you, Nacho Barrera, Kenny yep. J. Sign my yep. shirt, Kenny J. Uh, Tom Rocky Stone, uh, I, I could go on and on. The Mulkey Brothers, uh, you know, you don't see that anymore. It, it, it's like I said, twenty minutes of talking, then ten minute, maybe a ten minute match with two main eventers or three or four, depending on. Them. So those guys, are, they're never in the shuffle. And, and and you know, Dennis Stamp is a great example. He was a yes. great. Great wrestler. I had my Just, first match with him. See? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And, but he never made it to the the, 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 the main roster. But he was sure. on almost every week, you yep. know, with with Nacho or whatever against you guys or against a top Sure. Player. I just, I, I don't know how I say it, but it, it's a lost art. And, and I think it's, I think it's hurt the product. I mean, I understand people want to see the main event every week, but. You know, that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like when Brock was champion for a while, you didn't see him every week. No. Right? Yeah. He was gone. He'd come back. Yeah. And so, but well, you might see him on an interview, but you wouldn't see him in the ring. Right. See, but yeah. you don't see world champion today, Roman Reigns versus Tom Stone. No. You're not going to see that on TV. To me, it's kind of a loss. I don't know what your opinion on is of that as well. I mean, they, they helped you guys, I think. Oh, they did. See, the, the problem was is you on TV was the TV was a source of your advertising. So in the AWA and the different territories, you didn't want to give away 
a match on TV mm-hmm. that you could draw, you know, 10,000 people for. So consequently, you had fellows that, you know, would put guys over every, every you know, TV series. Yeah. You know, and, and they actually, you know, there was a couple of them that were very good. Yeah. You know, very good. And some got an opportunity and, you know, and uh, I know, you know, Scrap Iron Gadaski and, uh, you know, Kenny J and, and there was a couple other guys that, you know, uh, Tom Stone. Yeah. And, and then there was this big kid from Milwaukee and I, I gosh, he was a German guy. And I had the devil of the time. He never liked working with me. And I, and for some reason, <laughs> Wally would always put him in with me. And honest to God, he was just impossible. He was, he, you know, he was about 6'5 and about 310 or 315 pounds. And he was clumsier than a doggone donkey, you know. <laughs> and I'm, I'll think of his name and I'll call you again at two. But, <laughs> He was horrible. <laughs> Honestly, God, and, and Bobby Heenan says, oh, God, he says, he says, Jimmy, I love watching your match with him. <laughs> you know, because it was just like pulling teeth, you know, without yeah. hoping, you yeah. know, and he had to get the guy, he almost had to beat the guy down, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, say, look that way, boom, hit him in the jaw and to get him off his feet. Oh, I want to ask you. One thing about you and Greg, you guys were a team for a long, long time, you know. Ten years. Ten years. Did you ever think about or pitch to Vern to turn heel? No, because Greg would have been the heel. He's a natural heel. So Vern never would have gone for that because I was I was a natural baby face where Greg's temperament, yeah. Greg and a great heel. Yeah. Oh, God. But see, Vern wouldn't want to have his kid in the heel because, you know, <laughs> have that, you know, he just 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 didn't want that, you know, to happen. Yeah. And and although Greg would have been, oh, Greg would have been a great heel. You know, I, he, I didn't know if you guys had talked about it and say, hey, maybe we should turn nope. heel. And, and uh, how about you and Brian? Um, I don't think so. Um. I think we were both baby faces, you know, as a team, if we would have team, you know, turned heel with the mass, that would have been great. But yeah. one against the other, I, you know, a lot, a lot of that time, you know, that happens during tag teams and, and, and in the back of the mind, people are going to say, mm, you know, you know, all of a sudden they stop drawing and they're not doing this. So they're going to do something with one another and one guy's going to be the bad guy. Yeah. But I don't think that that was ever in the cards, you know, with either the high flyers or the the killer bees. Okay. Were you ever a heel? I was. Well, I wasn't really a heel, but I was. I wrestled rough in Japan. Okay. You have to wrestle rough in Japan, otherwise they'll beat the crap out of you. <laughs> I remember. So I was over there. This is a, in 1981. I I I just I spent almost two years in the Mid Atlantic in Charlotte and I, I was a mid-Atlantic champion and had some great matches. The only problem is <laughs> yeah, you had to wrestle every single day, every single day, sometimes twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. You made a good, you know, good living, but, but the, the, you know, the towns were within striking distance. So you could get home at, you know, one o'clock in the morning, you know, from driving. Yeah. So um, I forgot what I was going to tell you here about the, 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 what was the premise here before the Japan? Uh, yes. So, uh, yes. So I'm going to leave. Um, I actually, I got fired in Charlotte because of uh, a match I had with Kazro Vaziri. We were supposed to be, <laughs> we were supposed to do an hour Broadway. And he told me he hurt his back. So we got counted out outside and then they called me up and said George Scott said hey he says how come you didn't do an hour draw and I said well Cosro said his his back was sore and he and George said to me well you know he he told me his back wasn't sore and it was your idea to you know and I said he's wrong so and then George says well I have to fire you and I said well that's good I'm ready to go home but so the deal was I'm going to go back to Minneapolis so I wrestled like three weeks in Atlanta and Jim Barnett said to me 
and he had a way, I don't know if you've heard stories about Jim Barnett, but you know, he was, you know, he was a gay guy and he, 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 he was made a fortune as a promoter in Australia. And he'd say, Jimmy, where are, what do you want to do with your wrestling career? And I said, well, I said, in order to be, to make a lot of money, I said, that's why I'm in the business. You got to be a champion. Yeah. So I thought, well, I said, I'm going to go back to Minnesota. And he said, Jim, I'm going to tell you this. He said, if you go back to Minnesota, it'll be the worst mistake you ever made in your life and your career. So to make a long story short, I went back to Minneapolis. They put Greg and I back together and we won the belts again. And I had my biggest year ever, $85,000. I mean, but I got to tell you, in the interim, while I was waiting to go from Atlanta back to Minneapolis, they booked me in Japan, and I was partners with Nick Bockwinkle. <laughs> and we had we had a hell of a team, honest to God, and it was rough as hell. And we, you know, we uh, wrestled, and the you know the Japanese are not; it's not a night off. I mean, they'll 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 kick the your hinder off, you know. Yeah. So, was a, and we were you know and and Nick was good uh, you know and he said let him have it so I you know I, you know when a guy come I come off the ropes I boom I jump up and hit him with the elbow and knock him down and grab him and you know by the hair and everything and it was sort of fun and then uh, you know I didn't mind you know giving a comeback and you know take the bumps and everything but so it was great you know so Nick and I were partners for and then we go back you know and then yeah. We, wrestling again you're arch enemies again yeah but back then but he, they, you didn't know because they yeah. didn't have social media to tell you yeah hey, they were partners three thousand miles away in japan yeah. three oh, weeks God. later nick was so good in the ring my god and i gotta tell you this um i think after i got done i think i was done with wwe and they offered me an opportunity to go wrestle um for a pay-per-view in atlanta okay and the main event was Nick Bockwinkle against um, Dory Funk Jr. And they went like 30 minutes. Brian, they tore the house down. It was just incredible. Yeah. And I think I was in the tag match, and it was Wahoo McDaniels and me against Dick Murdoch and Don Morocco. And holy Jesus, I'll never forget. I'm, I'm working with... Uh, Dick Murdoch, who was, you know, like 6'5 and 295 and a Ku Klux Klan member. I mean, he was, <laughs> he, he, was a, he, he was a nice guy. Uh, there wasn't, uh, the lights weren't shining in his head, but he was a card-carrying, um, you know, Ku Klux Klan guy. Yeah. That's what he was. Uh -huh. So all of a sudden, he throws me in, and that son of a guy, he was about 6'5, 295. He hits me with a drop kick right in the chin. Oh. Knocks me out. And I... <laughs> I got, I shook my head and says, ah, you know, so, so thank God I got out of there, but I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Wow. Dickie Murdoch. What yeah. a kid. One last question for you and we'll let okay. you go. So what are you up to now, my friend? What's going on with you? Well, I recently had my 10th surgery from wrestling. I had uh, the shoulder replaced and when they did, uh, I have nerve damage in these hand, in these fingers, and I just had a test last week where they run electrical impulse through your neck, down your arm, and then they can find out if there's a, a bundle where the, the nerves are, you know, compacted or something. So, yeah. so uh, like I said, I've had both knees replaced, both shoulders replaced, and my hip. So it's a real chore for me yeah. to try to do anything physical. I can't lift anything more than 20 pounds in this this arm. Otherwise, the, the, the oh. screws come out. <laughs> oh. So I don't want to, you know, be a Jim the Ape, you know, with my hand hanging down by my feet. So <laughs> I, I just do what I can. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of nice being retired. I do, you know, probably once every other month, uh, I do an autograph signing either with Greg or Brian, and you know, you make a you know a couple of grand. It's sort of nice. Yeah. Fans again, and and you know, reminisce. And then uh, basically, we're you know we're going to travel a little bit, and we're very active watching my uh, two grandsons uh, uh, play soccer. They're both very good. Matter of fact, my 
oldest uh, Cal, uh, his name's Cal Babish, that uh, plays for Centennial um, Cougars, which is um, okay. a north suburban uh, town uh, just north of uh, St. Paul. Uh, they won last night. We watched it on TV. They won two to nothing over Spring Lake Park and Cal. Oh, he got both goals. So oh, wow. That's it great. Was fun watching him. Yeah. yeah. He was all conference last year as a junior. And now his younger brother, who's 14, Beck, uh, is playing as a, a freshman. So it's, oh, it's wow. fun watching them, you know. And yeah. then, uh, you know, uh, I do the gopher deal on, on home games with the M Club. And then uh, hopefully, you know, Mary and I are going to go on a cruise this year. And, oh, congratulations. Good yeah. So, and then we go to Florida, you know, in the winter. The winters, as you know, in Minnesota yeah. are just unbearable. Yeah, they're, bit, they're pretty bitter. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I, hey, life is good. I've been very blessed. You know, I've had these uh, uh, surgeries. But, yeah. you know, if, if you wrestle 27 years and I, I had yeah. 5,000 matches in that wow. time period, you know, you're going to have some... Uh, calcification of the joints <laughs> yeah and the brain too <laughs> i also want to mention uh before we come off and i'll put it down in the description you have a book matt Lance. there it is look at that there it is okay. there it is and Great actually book. thank you for mentioning it because every time i do a podcast i wind up selling 10 to 15 of these so it's great it's really um an easy read i wrote oh yeah yeah. Every word myself. Yeah. There was no, uh, you know, ghostwriter. Nope. And, and um, yeah, it, it was it, fun on it. And, and I, I appreciate uh, you mentioning Oh, of course. It was a great book. You signed it for me. I sent it to you. You sent it back. And I really appreciated that. And it's always good to see you. I mean, I saw you last at WrestleCon in Dallas back in uh, April. Yeah. Brian, that was great. You know, you guys are just great people, and I really enjoy I appreciate being it. around you guys. So, ladies and gentlemen, jumping Jim Brunzel, thank you so much, sir, for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. God bless. Take All care. Right. All right. You do the same. And, folks, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And please subscribe, and we'll talk to you soon.